0: Book of Jonah, the Book of Jonah. I know we normally going through Acts in uh, Sunday evenings, but uh, what a what a coincidence, huh? You you were in where that place is. Amen. That's amazing. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, praise the Lord for that. Jonah chapter three. Uh, Well, we're gonna start in. yeah, we'll start in chapter 3, but kind of bounce back and forth. Uh, next week, we begin revival services. You can't schedule revival. You can schedule revival services, but you can't schedule revival. Uh, revival is a heart condition. Uh, I certainly desire it. I desire it for myself. I desire it for each and every one of you as well. But I wanted to take this. Uh, I like to uh, just uh, you know, focus on it, usually on the last uh, Sunday before we have a uh, revival start up, uh, and that's what we're going to look at tonight as we look at the greatest revival ever that I think we can find anywhere. G. Campbell Morgan <laughs> said, revival cannot be organized, but we can set our sails to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow up on his people once again. Thank you, dear. Um, revival cannot be organized, but you can put up the sails. For it, Amen. You can prepare your hearts for it. That's what we're going to try to do throughout this week. I hope that as you look forward to it, you're praying that way too. God, give me something special during this time. By the way, it can't happen if you're not here. You've got to be here. And I hope that you each plan to do that. But whether, uh, while it is true that we cannot conjure it up, I believe we can prepare for it. Revival is the visitation of God that brings life to Christians who are sleeping or have been uh, a little bit apathetic. It restores a sense of God's presence and his holiness. You could say revival is an invitation from heaven to the heart that brings a conscious awareness of God. We schedule these meetings because we need them. Uh, I fully uh, am convinced of that. Now, I know a lot of churches do not schedule revival meetings. I I will continue to do so as long as I'm pastor because I think it's important for us. A lady asked Billy Sunday one day, why do you have revival services? Why do you keep having revivals if they never last? Well, You've got to do it again next year. Why do you schedule them in the first place if they don't last? And he says, I'll answer your question with a question of my own. Why do you keep taking baths? Okay, don't last, does it? Kind of important to do it, though, isn't it? Uh, same way in revival. Most of us are familiar With the story of Jonah, generations of Sunday school children have listened in wide-eyed amazement as they hear about this man who was swallowed by a fish, spent three days and three nights in the belly of this fish, and is there a better story in the Bible? Now, here's a simple outline to help us understand the flow of the story. In chapter 1, we see the prodigal prophet, in chapter 2, the praying prophet. In chapter 3, the preaching prophet. and chapter 4, the pouting prophet. And so, Jonah went through many different stages of things that we can learn from. And uh, really, what you have in the book of Jonah is the story of the world's worst missionary ever. And we're going to look at it tonight as a, what kind of a rotten missionary Jonah was. And yet, God did a great work through him. It's an amazing story. Let's start in chapter Number 3, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying... Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Um, So Jonah rose, verse 3, and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Father, I pray you'd help us in these few minutes together tonight to be encouraged and challenged in this area of revival. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to clarify one point. In the story of Jonah, Jonah is not the hero of the story. The fish is not the hero of this story. God is the hero in the story of Jonah. Uh, The fish is mentioned four times. The city is mentioned nine times. Jonah is mentioned 18 times. God is mentioned 38 times. God never gave up on Jonah. God did not give up on the city of Nineveh. When Jonah runs away, (coughs) God didn't give up on him. When Jonah sat under a vine and pouted, God did not give up on him. A couple of clarifications Before we go into the story, uh, I believe this is a true story, 100%. Contrary to skeptics and critics, I believe this story is undistorted, historic truth. There really was a man named Jonah. He He really did flee to Tarshish. He really was swallowed by a great fish. He really did survive for three days inside the fish's belly. He was vomited up on dry ground. We can date this story at about 765 BC in the days of Jeroboam II, king of Israel. Now it only has four chapters, 48 verses, 1319 words, and you can read it in about 15 minutes and in this story you see the heart of God. That's what we're going to look at this evening. It's a revealing story. One of, uh, most of us have probably run from God at one time or another in our lives. We all know what it means to run the other way. In chapter 1, Jonah is running from God. In chapter 2, Jonah is praying to God. In in chapter 3, Jonah is speaking for God. And in chapter 4, he is learning about God. Probably all of us have been in these stages in in our life. In Jonah chapter (coughs) 1, the story begins, Now the word of the Lord (coughs) came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, and then it gives that command to go to Nineveh. It's amazing how just one sentence can change your life. Life can turn on a dime. It happened to Jonah when God spoke those three words, go to Nineveh. When God said Nineveh was wicked, he was not kidding. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. It was the most powerful empire in the world that day. Their brutality and their cruelty was well known. History records what a wicked, wicked people the Assyrians were. And the Jews hated them for good reason. They had a bloodthirsty cruelty their idolatry and their arrogance. And as far as Jonah was concerned, Nineveh could go straight to hell and he wouldn't worry one bit about it. He didn't have any concern for the people of Nineveh. Verse number three, we're still in chapter one, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. Isn't that a funny statement? To flee from the presence of the Lord. Shall he that has eyes not see? Shall he that made the mouth not hear? Not hear? And uh, so we uh, can understand that is a foolish thing to do. Nineveh was about 500 miles north and east of where Jonah was. God said, go east. Jonah said, I am going west. And when Jonah decides to run from God, it just happens that he finds a ship going the opposite direction. Now that doesn't, isn't a coincidence. Uh, when we choose to disobey God, listen now, there's always going to be a boat going to Tarshish. There's always going to be an opportunity for us to go the opposite way. When you decide to run from God, Satan will be more than happy to provide the transportation for you. That's what happened here in Jonah's life. As we read Jonah's story, remember that we can run, but we cannot hide. Though Jonah tried to leave the Lord, the Lord never let let him leave. Uh, It is the patience of God that allows us to run. It is the wisdom of God that provides the ship. It is the providence of God that sends the storm. It is the kindness of God that sends the great fish. And as Jonah went to the bottom of the ship, he fluffed his pillow up, he laid down to take a nap, and he must have thought this is working out just fine. Deep down inside, he knew that what God's will was, and he knew he didn't want to do it. Favorable circumstances do not override what God has clearly said. So Jonah might have thought he was okay. In fact, if you're running from God, you might think you're okay. It's not the case at all. Sin looks good for a while. We never get away with it. Look at verse number 4. <clears throat> but the Lord sent a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Must have been a bad storm, because these professional sailors who've seen it all were scared to death. Jonah is now uh, found out, in verse 7, as they cast lots, and the lot fell on him. And Jonah, when he saw that they knew who the trouble was and why the storm came, he tells them to throw him overboard. They wouldn't do it. They did not want to do it. They started rowing for the shore. It's amazing to me that at this point, these ungodly sailors have more compassion than the prophet of God does. They care about his well-being. Finally, they throw Jonah overboard. The text says in verse 15 that the sea ceased from her raging. We learn an important truth here that the storms will continue until you stop running from God. We generally have smooth sailing at first. Things will go our way at first, but the storms will definitely come our way. Things look rosy. Your life looks good because disobedience has a temporary reward, but it is very temporary. But then, oh yes, the storms will come into our life. The storms are sent by God because in his mercy, he wants to bring us to our senses and lead us to a place of repentance. The voyage into sin may start with celebration, but it always ends with a raging storm. Verse number 16, look at what the Bible says here, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. So, this is interesting too. While Jonah's bobbing out there in the water, there's a revival going on in the boat. These men that were going to Tarshish are now making sacrifice unto the Lord. Suddenly the boat is full of, true, of worshipers of the true God. Question, by the way, where's the boat going? It's still going to Tarshish. Now you've got a boat full of missionaries heading to Tarshish and one missionary uh, that's going the other direction. In the way God works wonderful? Isn't it a great thing to see God work? <coughs> now the Lord comes to another one of his servants, to a big fish. I've got a job for you to do, okay? A man's going to drop into the water in front of you. I don't want you to chew him up. I just want you to swallow him whole. And uh, so the fish does. So animals always obey God in the Bible. They they are usually the obedient ones. Why did he send the fish? He sent the fish to rescue Jonah from the sea. If he hadn't sent the fish, Jonah would have died in the ocean. The second reason is he wanted to bring him to repentance. By the way, if you're running from God any time in your life, it's never too late to stop running. Don't wait for the storm. Don't wait for the fish. Get right with God before that has to happen. Now my message begins here. When he was, after the fish has vomited him out, uh, that's where we began in chapter number three. The fish had spit him out on dry land. Jo- Jonah gave that fish serious indigestion. That's what preachers would do, <laughs> give you indigestion. And so uh, he vomited him out on the ground. Now, what would be your next move if a spit, uh, fish had just spit you out? After, of course, you exhausted an entire bar of soap and tried to clean up. Well, today it would be easy you start up a Facebook page and you start talking about it and letting everybody know what you did. Share your story with the world, with selfies. What do you do if you're Jonah? Well, God came to him and gave him the exact same command he had given him before. God's renewed call is what we see in chapter 3 here. Notice the key words here, a second time. Jonah got a second chance. Listen, I know preachers, and I've said it before too, and I know what, what we mean by it when we say God is a God of second chances. Not always. Ask Ananias and Sapphira about the God of second chances. Uh, ask uh, Lot's wife about the God of second chances. He doesn't always give a second chance. We better not depend on second chances. Now praise the Lord, often he does. But it's not always true. <coughs> the fact that God gave Jonah a second chance, friend, does not mean that he'll always give us a second chance. We better be obedient. Don't presume on God's grace. Proverbs 10:17. He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuses reproof erreth. God's message is exactly the same as his message was at first. Go to Nineveh. It hasn't changed. Jonah's disobedience did not cancel out God's call. Just because you're disobedient doesn't mean that God's going to change his mind. Okay, I guess you don't have to go to Nineveh. No, he said, you're still going to have to go to Nineveh. We learned several truths here. Number one, God doesn't hold grudges, praise God. He's the God who abundantly pardons sinners. He demonstrated his grace by renewing his call on Jonah's life. Second thing we see, God doesn't lighten the load. Uh, God did not say, okay, Jonah, you don't want to go to Nineveh. I'll send you to Brookings or some nice place like that. Okay? He doesn't say that at all. He still says, go to Nineveh. Rebellion does not equal negotiation. We don't negotiate with God. He gives him a second chance to do what he should have done the first time. Can I encourage you tonight? Just to obey God. When he gives a command, just obey. Thirdly, we see God doesn't give up. I love this story because God cares more about the worker than he does the work. Now, he cares about the work, but he also cares about the worker. If all God cared about was Nineveh, he could have gotten somebody else to go, but he cares also about Jonah. He wanted Jonah to confront his own heart, and he wanted Jonah to see who he was. Another point here that we see, you don't always have to like what you're called to do, but you have to do it anyway. You might not love Nineveh, but you've got to give them God's message anyway. But good for Jonah. He learned his lesson. Getting swallowed by a fish will do that for you, amen? So he learned his lesson. He's up, he's at it, he gets off the beach, he cleans himself off, and he heads for Nineveh. Verse number three calls Nineveh a very large city. It was a city given over to greed, to immorality, and to violence. And Jonah had a very simple message for them. Now, Nineveh might have been the home uh, to about 600,000 people, they they uh, estimate. It would have been a mega city in that day. Jonah goes and begins to preach in this pagan city. His message is very simple. Look at it in verse 4. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. <laughs> That's his message. That's his whole message. Eight words in English, four words in Hebrew. Some preachers uh, are known for their long messages. <laughs> Jonah had a very short message. I heard one pastor who was always kind of long-winded, and he noticed a man leave his, while he was preaching, a man got up and walked out, and and, uh, then before he was done preaching, the man walks back in and sits back down, and so afterwards, he said, where did you go during the service? And the guy said, "Uh, I went out to get a haircut. The pastor said, get a haircut? Isn't that something you should do before service? And he says, I didn't need a haircut when the church started. I needed it during the preaching, but anyway, I've never preached an eight-word message in my life, But here are eight words, yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It is a, I mean, if you ask me and you look at the message, it's a pretty depressing message. There's no hope. There's no, hey, I got good news too, just y'all are going to die. That's his message basically here. A message of judgment and nothing more. Can you imagine the reaction when he preaches this? Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That preacher is not very nice. Uh, He's very direct and he was. A woman by the name of Gladys Dunn was visiting a church for the first time. After the service, people are milling around, and they're talking, and so she went up to someone and just uh, introduced herself, and she shook hands with uh, another lady and said, hi, I'm Gladys Dunn, and the lady said, whew, I'm glad he's done too. Uh, That's probably the feeling that they had when Jonah got done preaching. Uh, Glad he's done. That was a very depressing message. If we put (laughs) If we put together a missions trip to go to Nineveh, we're probably going to do it a little bit different than Jonah did. We'll probably get a a guy to go out and, uh, you know, set up a Facebook page and train some counselors and print some materials and advertise a meeting. Jonah skipped all of that, just went to Nineveh, jumped on a milk crate and started to preach his message of destruction and judgment. That's all by the way that Jonah cared about, just the judgment. So that's what he focused on. He hoped Nineveh would be destroyed. He was devastated when God saved them in the end. He would have been happy if it happened in 40 days. No one could ever accuse Jonah of being a mealy-mouthed preacher, a prosperity gospel type preacher. He just brought judgment. He was a hard-nosed evangelist who was happy to pronounce God's judgment on these people. Now, I say all that to say that that is how or it's not how we would expect revival to come. We want to make people comfortable. We want to maybe have a big dinner on the ground, some fancy music, some slick preachers. But you know what Jonah preached? Look what Jonah preached. In verse 2, it tells us what he preached. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. He preached what God told him to preach. told him exactly what God had told him to say. You know what will bring revival to your heart and to mine and to the heart of our church? God's word, the preaching of the word of God, just as he gives it. And Nineveh was ripe for awakening, but no one knew it. Jonah didn't know it. Nineveh didn't even know it, but God knew it. God has evidently been working behind the scenes and preparing these people for this moment. And then we see in verse 5, Nineveh's repentance. Notice what happened when Jonah preached in verse 5. So the people of Nineveh <coughs> believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. By the way, it doesn't say they believed Jonah. It says they believed God. Uh, the they, uh, king even got involved and he set aside his uh, clothes. He arose from his throne, uh, covered himself with sackcloth, and he calls for a time of fasting and prayer because as he says in verse 9 so well, who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? The king of Nineveh, he knows they're guilty. He knows they don't deserve mercy. But th- he thinks that God might still have mercy on his people. I'm sure he's never heard the words because they hadn't been written yet. But it's as if he has in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6. Seek, seek, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy on him and abundantly pardon. What a blessing. What happens next in Nineveh is the greatest revival meeting ever. Uh, D.L. Moody, George Whitfield, Billy Sunday, none of them ever saw a revival meeting like this one right here. Now, they had some great revivals, but here a whole, this is like if you went and preached in the city of St. Louis or the city of Chicago or the city of New York, the whole city getting right. That'd be something, wouldn't it? And uh, I, they, they might even stop rioting, amen, if they get, all get saved. Uh, and it's an unbelievable thing, and yet it happened. The greatest revival because of a one-sentence sermon preached by a prophet who didn't want to be there and didn't care about the people he's was preaching to. Think about it. And he preaches this eight-word sermon. What are the chances of a revival happening without God in the mix? None. There's no chance of it. I tell you tonight, as we look at all the crazy things going on in the world today, politically and in our nation, I am thirsty for revival. In my own heart, I'm thirsty for revival in our church. I'm thirsty for revival in our town, in our state, and in our nation. Look at God's response in verse number 10. The Bible says, and God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of all of the evil that he had said he would do unto them and he did it not. Wow. By the way, that doesn't mean God was wrong. It just repented means a change of mind, a change of heart. And so, me emphasize this fact again. No one could have predicted this in advance. That very day, the king got up. He had no idea that later that day he would be in sackcloth and ashes. Uh, Then here comes this smelly, partially deformed, angry preacher, gets on a crate and starts ripping at him and yelling at him. He wasn't nice. He wasn't loving. But he gave him the word of God, and it changed their hearts, and it changed their lives. I have an idea that God was working in this pagan city a long time before Jonah ever showed up. It was a God's moment for Nineveh, and they responded. Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke 11:32: The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah's and behold, greater than Jonas is here, talking about himself. There are thousands of Ninevites in heaven tonight and, uh, because of their response to the gospel. Tonight I have to wonder, <coughs> how much time do we really have before Christ comes back? I mean, you look around, you see prophecies being fulfilled. Uh, with the moral erosion that's around us in the world today, you've got to think we're in the last days of the last days. But Jonah chapter 3 ought to encourage us in another way. God can reach the impossible. God can do the impossible. He can reach the unreachable. No one was more unreachable than Nineveh. And yet, they came around. <coughs> we can look around today and we can see our society and we can think it's hopeless. I mean, it's Nineveh. It's wickedness. It's hopeless. And yet, everyone, everyone is reachable. Everyone we can make an impact in their lives. God loved the people in Nineveh, and God loves the people in Brookings, and God loves you, and God loves the people in Bible Baptist Church. He still wants to do a work in our hearts, and He will if we will just yield to Him when He does. But, my friend, revival starts with you. Revival starts with me. You can't schedule it. Uh, I've can bring i got the preacher coming. I'm going to pick him up Thursday night late. We're going to have him here He's preparing his heart. His church has been praying for weeks as well uh, for our revival service here. And uh, we can schedule it, we can plan it, but we can't make it happen. It has to happen in our hearts right in here. We have to be ready for it. Now, let me make a statement. And this, I believe this with all my heart. As long as you are content to live without revival, you will. As long as you're content where you are, you'll be right where you are. We've got to have a desire uh, Vance Havner said revival is the church falling in love with Jesus all over again listen I'm not looking to get on the news of the uh, there's a the greatest revival in America here in Brooklyn not looking at that at all I- I'm looking for this right here I just want something to happen in my heart I want something to happen in your heart I want us to have a renewed vision for what God wants us to do and I ask tonight what about you what's your desire will you be involved Will you uh, invest some time in letting God work in your heart as well? So if every head bowed